Welcome back to the Ownership Economy. This week, Martin and Jawhead speak with Raphael Holt, co-founder and CEO of Toucan Protocol. In the conversation, they cover the historical arc of the carbon markets, how we got to the market we have today through greenwashing and in some cases fraud, and what Toucan is building to enable transparent and auditable climate finance at scale. They touch on the recent Vera controversy and how Toucan is building tools and financial infrastructure to help registries, marketplaces, brokers and corporates understand what they are buying so that they can finance the economic system change we need to power through this century's energy and environmental challenges. And if you like this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, Raf, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's exciting. So we like to start the show by getting to know your professional background a bit. So maybe you could tell us a bit about where did you start and then sure. how did you arrive at Toucan? Yeah. So my background is I'm an engineer. Um, my background is in energy, renewable energy mostly. Um, also have a, a business degree, but that one was um, far less interesting, I would say. Um, was one of those degree where it feels like you're paying for it rather than anything else. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, so my 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 story is very simple. I I one of my flatmates um, got into Bitcoin and was like, oh, Raf, yeah, like you have to you have to check it out. It was back in 2017. So I checked it out. I was pretty much drawn towards the technology underlying it very quickly. Um, and um, because my background is in energy, I was kind of looking at the use case of blockchain in the context of renewable energy. So, you know, the things that you would talk about back in the day would be like the Brooklyn microgrid and like this mm-hmm. prosumer markets, et cetera. So that's kind of where uh, I decided to put my, my, my love and energy. So um, I worked at a research institute kind of developing a um, peer-to-peer local energy market uh, system based on I'm almost afraid to say it, but based on Hyperledger Fabric, uh, which is <laughs> which is IBM's framework for the audience, which is, in case you're wondering. <laughs> exactly, which was IBM's um, private blockchain private permission um, that you couldn't get more than 16 nodes to sync. <laughs> Otherwise, it would break down. So, you know, that was, that was very good for me to make that experience myself and then very, very quickly, like, become a open public blockchain maximalist and uh, an Ethereum boy. So that's kind of um, where where it all started. And then um, I I think you had Pat on the show, right? So I ran into Pat from, from Curve Labs, uh, or he actually ran into me, uh, whatever you want, <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, and um, we started kind of spitballing about the idea of thousand their application in um, in the energy market for like local energy communities and that's how we kind of got uh, started working together and um, and then I went to East London so I went to the East London hackathon back in February 2020 um, on my own because I wanted to kind of upskill my, my my coding game a bit and um, because I had this idea of like you know I, I'm an environmentalist and always have been and I've also, you know, been quite passionate about about crypto, but also was very, very painfully aware of the environmental impact that, mm-hmm. like, uh, all of the crypto industry had. So, um, going to London, I had this idea of like creating a a solidity modifier to offset 
uh, smart contracts so people could oh, add that modifier sorry also just to you know not a technical podcast so, so <laughs> okay sorry programming language of ethereum no you don't have yeah. to apologize i'm not saying stop just you know, i might jump in and say by the yeah, way that's it. what this is <laughs> so. yeah. yeah so solidity the programming language of of um the ethereum virtual machine and then um, a modifier essentially is a kind of snippet of code that you can just add to any other snippet of code, which kind of runs, uh, like, um, like executes that code whenever you run it. Um, and so the idea was that you could add it to other smart contracts and then you could, they would automatically buy carbon credits and tire them so you could have smart contracts that offset themselves. Um, and then it was clear that you can't do that unless you have actually carbon credits on chain, which didn't exist back in the day. So, um, you know, we kind of like realized, oh, oh shit, we have to build the infrastructure first to actually allow for yeah. that. And um, that's kind of how essentially Toucan then, you know, started. We, we, we joined the Blockchain for Social Impact Incubator. I then spent nine months at a venture builder in London called Deep Science Ventures, where, you know, that's where kind of this idea transitioned from like a hackathon idea to like a proper, oh my God, the copper market is actually pretty dysfunctional and Web3 yeah. could actually be part of the solution. So um, coming out of that um, with, with my, with my co-founder, James, we kind of understood, okay, no, we actually have to build this in a completely different way um, and the address the pain points of the, of the, of the carbon market itself and not just think of it as like, crypto being a market to sell carbon credits into. So got um, it. Yeah. I'll stop here uh and you know happy to go through the rest of the story, whether we <laughs> Oh for sure. I'm sure we'll touch on it. But I think yeah. the getting to it is super interesting because the, the it's it's the classic sort of entrepreneur story where you're like, I want to do the simple thing. Oh, yeah. the simple thing is not as simple as I thought. Let me just chase it down to its root. And you ended yeah. up at kind of what ended up opening up a university, a universe of possibilities for what became Toucan and programmable carbon, what have you. So actually, now that we're here, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what is what is the current pitch for Toucan, right? We kind of talked about have the need for bringing carbon on chain and why, why you even were interested in the carbon mm -hmm. problem because Ethereum was proof of work at the time, which the proof of work algorithms had, are very energy intensive. And if they're energy intensive, that <laughs> dependent on our current energy, that means it's dependent on our current energy sources, which a lot of them are, you know, we don't have too many clean grids across the world if you've, you've looked at that lately, right? Yeah. So maybe you can then zoom out and tell us, well, you, you arrived at that idea. I need to get carbon on chain. How did you get, you know, what is the current pitch for Toucan? What is Toucan doing? Yeah. So um, starting at the zoom out level. So, you know, as, as, you, as you said, essentially we are at a kind of inflection point in, I think, the history of our civilization where we need to kind of find a find a way to transition our economy to being regenerative by design and not extractive and so uh, i personally came to the conclusion or believe that uh, a functioning carbon market is a kind of necessity to achieve that and a carbon market really is just like an, uh, a mechanism to allocate resources and move like mostly move money from the global north to the global south and invest in kind of um, mitigation activities, so activities like drawing down carbon or removing um, or reducing carbon emissions. So um, the the goal for Tukin really is building the rails that actually allow um, like a trillion dollars flow to the best climate solutions. Um, and the current approach that we have, essentially, we have like a two, we have kind of two main activities. 
first one being a meta registry, which essentially is a, um, um, if you want a um, registry system that can connect to different carbon standards or like different supply sources and aggregate those credits um, in one system. Sorry to interject one sec. Yeah. We have had a couple of these episodes as well. We had a uh, a uh, Dr. Margot Clarvis who is uh, deeply involved in NBS. So if the mm-hmm. audience you know doesn't remember registries, what are those things? They're these certifying bodies that have these methodologies that then issue the credits that Raf's talking about, and then that's that's what a registry is. In case yeah. there's a lot of technical jargon, <laughs> yeah, we have to wade through it, but we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate your. Um... Yeah, kind of translating some of these things. Um, so essentially, you know, as I said, the, the meta registry is ultimately about um, aggregating supply and data around 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 carbon credits to make them more easily discoverable and also to make it easier to discern the good and the bad because there's unfortunately a lot of bad. Um, and then the second part is more, I would say, like financial markets infrastructure. So right now, our kind of um, kind of the first financial product that we that we launched was the ideas of of pooling so mm-hmm. uh, carbon pools and carbon pools work a bit like um like a club in in you know like a club with a bouncer where there's a certain policy at the door and the bouncer basically decides which type of carbon credits can come in and which can't mm-hmm. um and so to understand that like you know carbon credits we, we're talking about the carbon credits out of the voluntary carbon market here so um which basically are always based on some kind of projects uh, that create positive externalities, either by uh, removing or reducing carbon emissions. Um, and these get certified. So they're kind of um, uh, kind of after the fact, only when the carbon drawdown or the reduction has taken place, only then these, these credits are being issued. And so um, because this is project-based, you have a huge diversity of credits. Right, because it's not the same thing if you like plant trees or if you like install renewable energies, right? So it's just not the same thing. And so these credits also trade at different price points. And the ideas of the idea of behind the carbon pool is actually to create create a, a more homogeneous asset, uh, kind of essentially commoditize, uh, if you want, carbon credits um, within a certain homogeneous group of of credits, um, with the goal of creating deeper liquidity and more price transparency and price discovery. Um, yeah, I don't know things. No, and that totally makes sense. And I think that it's um, important to note that this market is unregulated, but that doesn't mean that it's just total free for all. It's there are scientific methodologies that go through peer review that very much determine what does and doesn't even enter the market as a credit, yeah. right? And of course, like some of those methodologies might be shaky too, as well. Like you could be like, hey. Uh, Oh, sure. uh, we, we, we have this hydroelectric plant that's doing whatever and then it's like oh but there was a drought so we had to backfill it with coal but we don't put that in to the mm-hmm. you know we don't account for that in the credit and so people are like oh well this is greenwashing it's like yeah but the greenwashing in a lot of ways is not necessarily intentional it's actually just a fact of the grid right like we grid and energy consumption right not to say that all of greenwashing is you know unintentional some of it is yeah but just to point it out <laughs> Absolutely. Like the, the reality is like this is a very, very complex problem, right? Because ultimately, if we want to do it right, we're talking about regenerating ecosystems. And surprise, ecosystems are really complex systems and are not, you know, if you want to do it right, it takes a lot of time and effort and costs a lot of money. So um unfortunately, 
well, it's not even unfortunately, it's just we just have to understand that this market is in a very, very early stage. And I'm not talking about the uh, on-chain carbon market. I'm just yeah. meaning the carbon market in itself is, is a very, very, very early stage market, which has mostly been a, you know, has mostly been operated by NGOs who are, you know, the regenerators, if you want, and then some few actors who are buying these carbon credits, mostly to, um, mostly for marketing purposes, right? Um, and so the, the, the important part was more the story behind the project oftentimes. Um, and it didn't really matter, you know, if it was really one ton of carbon removed or not, like who cares. Right. Um, and so I'm just, you know, saying that because unfortunately this is kind of the, the, the foundation on which we had to build some of our technology and where, you know, where we realized that, oh my God, actually some of these foundations are pretty shaky. So, yeah. Um, so then quick recap then, um, Toucan Protocol. So you built infrastructure that enables pooling of carbon projects. This was not a thing that necessarily, uh, it wasn't super easy to do this already. If you wanted to go out there and say, hey, I want to see um, everything that's nature-based carbon in a particular geo or jurisdiction, you got to scan a bunch of PDFs and be like, oh, which, yeah. uh, which one? Uh, maybe this one, maybe that one, right? So it's you know that is a fundamental sort of innovation that you folks were thinking like, hey, this actually needs to exist. And so, um, and then if I just, we will focus on that. We'll come back to the other pieces of what you guys have built, yeah. but um, I think who are the I just want to, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just want to, because um, I think when Tukin launched, a lot of eyes were on the pooling infrastructure. Yeah. Um, my heart is much more in the registry part than, than it is in the pooling no. infrastructure. Tell us more. Um, no, it's just like um, pooling really just works for a subset like pooling it creates a commoditized market and a commoditized market is only possible for a limited subsection of the available crown credits so only the ones that actually where there's an enough supply of similar kind of with similar attributes and and, and um levels of, of kind of um integrity and so i really see the pooling infrastructure just as like one kind of market mechanism mm -hmm. And we need all the market mechanisms. We need, you know, we need better OTC. We need better, like, kind of boutique marketplaces for, like, you know, unique carbon projects. We need maybe order books, etc. So, just like, uh, I'm just looking at this as like one way to have to ex to have a carbon credits kind of change hands. Yeah. Um, hopefully, in a more uh, transparent manner, or at least by creating. Um, a more efficient market where less of the um, value add lands in with the intermediaries, but actually creates a possibility for the current projects to directly sell them to a liquid market without having to go to um, through through brokers, et cetera. So, but I'm very aware that this is um, not a silver bullet and um, it's not a silver bullet because of the underlying carbon credits being so difficult to, because they're so different yeah, to commoditize, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And we kind of lack some of the support infrastructure to actually make it possible. It's kind of coming now, right, with like rating agencies like B0, Silvera, Renosa, et cetera, kind of bringing more data and shedding more light to, hey, what does this project actually, you know, they, they might, two projects might share the same methodology, but have just been implemented in a very different way. And so their, their kind of impact and Integrity might might vary strongly, even though they on paper, if you just look at it from the outside, they they, they look very similar. So, um, 
what I believe that the, the meta registry can do is exactly that, right? It can actually create more, um, can aggregate more of the data that comes, that is backing these credits to make it more possible for the market to make up their mind of what is actually good and what is actually bad. And it can break through some of the silos that we currently have in this market where, as you described, right, it's not unregulated market, which means that you have these kind of self-proclaimed regulators, these carbon standards that are doing their best to kind of create integrity and like um, hold these projects to like the highest standards possible. But the reality is that it's not always the case. Um, and so um, having all these different diverse standards, how do we make sure that they, be, you know, that these credits from different standards are uh, kind of inter that the data is kind of interchangeable and understandable um, across them. So that's kind of the 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 idea behind the meta, meta registry. And I would say the core innovation of Token really has been to bridge carbon credits on chain with all their attributes. So mm. uh, with all the individual metadata that is attached to a carbon credit, because if we just wanted to create the pooling, we could have done it like you know other projects have done before us, which is basically just oh, you move this carbon credit on chain and you get like a, you directly get NCT, right? Yeah. But why did we have this intermediary step of first creating a TCO2, which is the unique carbon credit, and then have users deposit that TCO2 into a carbon pool is because we understood very early that that's actually the core innovation of Tugman. Or gotcha. that, that's kind of the core, that's a necessary part to actually bring more integrity to this market versus just bring more liquidity. And I think that's a great spot to continue to zoom out a bit and say, you know, you mentioned users at a few junctions here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who are the, what's the major sort of segments of users for this infrastructure, right? When we say users, who are they, right? We've mentioned yeah. project developers, we mentioned the nonprofit registries. We, we might even be talking about individual consumers, retail people. So who are the major users of the infra? Yeah. So, um, uh, sorry to do that again, but I'll zoom out. Because to understand what this market actually does, the end buyer, right? The end buyer are typically corporations or, you know, individuals, but it's mostly big corporations that retire these carbon credits. So we have to understand that the underlying asset is actually an asset that is meant to be like removed. And it's a kind of a loss on, on your balance sheet from, yes. from a pure financial perspective. So. What happens right. when you retire a carbon credit is that you're claiming the underlying environmental value for yourself, right? So if you think of a carbon credit as a packaged positive externality that's kind of handed down, it's like somebody gets to buy this packaged positive externality, and when you retire it, they get to claim it, right? They can claim it to match it with some negative externality, which I think is a pretty boring use case, but they can also just claim it to say, look, I have provenly contributed to removing carbon credit, uh, removing carbon from the atmosphere, as an, as an example. So this end buyer is actually not our user. So, um, but it is really important that we understand that this end buyer is the one who it has, I would say, the power in this market. Mm -hmm. um, and so our goal by building products that we built is still to make it so that we improve the, the we, we make their life easier, right? Meaning the end buyer right now in their purchasing decisions it's basically almost, it's, it's kind of a risk management exercise because there's so much bad press around carbon credits that you really don't want to touch the bad ones because it might come back and bite you later. So a lot of money and energy is wasted, well not wasted, but directed at 
kind of due diligence and curation of, of the best carbon projects. So um, again, that explains the value of the meta registry where that data can be like more easily discoverable, discovered and it becomes easier for end buyers to, to, to understand what, what, which credits are good and which ones are bad. And ultimately what we also want is that these retirements, so this kind of tra trace, the traceability of the carbon credit all the way to the end buyer happens on chain so that it's like there's no space for double counting or like you know um other types of frauds so th that's kind of a, just a preface of like how mm -hmm. does this market how does this market work the users of token are essentially uh if we say there are three different customers or like three different groups there's marketplaces and intermediaries which are actually the ones who hold this end buyer relationship right so um, these could be traditional Web2 players that have the capabilities to tap into the on-chain supply, right? So the value that you can bring to them is that we have aggregated supply on-chain that is always on, that the price is always clear and available. You don't have to pick up the phone and call somebody to understand how much credits are available and, and which yeah. prices because we have a liquid market actually on-chain. So the value to these kind of uh, market actors, if you want, is that there's uh, there's a supply on chain that they can tap into. Um, the other group is the actually the ones that are credit owners, so they have supply. And so the value for them is that Tucan actually, by moving carbon credits onto Tucan, they tap into the different demand channels that are attached to Tucan, right? So we have right now over 60 projects that are being built on top of Tucan, and there's mm -hmm. different marketplaces amongst them. Marketplaces, again, that are focusing on different things. You have Senken, for instance, who's uh, focusing more on like being a kind of traditional marketplace and with, a, with an order book function attached to it. Uh, Atem is trying to automate, so it's kind of a carbon API that tries to like um, do it more in a programmatic way. Um, Neutral is a protocol that is um, also building like a, a very kind of traders oriented uh, order book market, etc. So you have these different um, demand channels uh, and pools are a form of demand as well, right? So by bringing your supply on chain, you actually, it's kind of opening a portal and suddenly because it's all interoperable and programmable, you get to have access to all of that. And then the third group is builders, right? So builders are the ones that actually make use of that programmable nature of on-chain carbon to build novel applications on top of it. You know, Spirals is an example, they're kind of redirecting yield to, to purchasing carbon credits, et cetera. So, yeah, um, I think that's, a, that's a really good breakdown because I think this brings to light how much you're actually focusing on the financial rails and infrastructure angle, right? What people like, what does that mean? It's like, well, you know, there's all these various end users who are almost in a sort of B to B to C, you know, sort of context. Not really, it's more B to B to B, right? But you're you are the underlying middleware that says, hey, you've built an order book to serve a particular set of corporate purchasers who have these criteria, and you want to focus on that segment. We can power that, right? We are the underlying infrastructure that fulfills that order or shows you what's available. You don't have to worry about that. You can focus on the business development, the UX, whatever it is, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Excellent. And so that that if you're kind of thinking about, you know, we keep zooming out, but I think it's 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 important. Yeah. Uh, carbon is the right to pollute uh, up until probably like 1990 or so was very much a you know, carbon was treated like an open, re, uh, you know, like an open access resource. You could just spew as much of it as you want. And over time, we're, we've been kind of turning that right to pollute into 
more of a, you know, there's been a lot of different property regimes that have kind of been tried to put in place. If you look at the compliance market, it's almost like uh, we're saying that the if you operate in the chemical industry, airline industry, a number of other, uh, you know, uh, industries that have to actually, you know, do they produce a ton of pollution, then in those regimes, you kind of actually have to operate under the government's uh, oversight and, and almost <laughs> in a public property regime. But what we're talking about, what we're kind of seeing here is you folks are very much kind of saying, hey, um, we want in the voluntary markets, we want to use science, we want to work with regulators eventually to kind of say, hey, this is, if you have a voluntary commitment, a net zero commitment, or something that you, know, you just actually think that we should be doing this, we could turn this into a common pool resource that's global. But the problem is that's really, really difficult to coordinate. And so that I think kind of sums up a little bit of where, you know, where you're at, where you're at today, where the market is today, right? Because yeah. the market is saying, hey, oh, um, <laughs> all the things we famously call externalities, are things that we depend on on the other side as inputs mm. to the economy, right? As ecosystem totally. services, right? Yeah. And so, cool. All right. I think we've gotten to a good spot on that. There's one thing I kind of want to get into here just because the, you know, our audience, the larger crypto audience, larger nature-based uh, assets and uh, environmental uh, environmentalist-oriented audience might be aware of. We talked about the voluntary market quite a bit. One of the things, um, if you follow this, that's happened, developed in the last year is that uh, you folks working with Klima, you, Klima Dow, you had uh, bridged carbon on chain because you said, hey, actually anybody could do this, right? And you kind of did it and it kind of blew through your wildest expectations, you know, uh, <laughs> if you read uh, Toucan's latest blog post. And so uh, I do want to dig into a little bit about what that means. What is bridging, right? Because yeah. um there are these registries, they exist, they have their, they might have an attached marketplace. And then, you know, Toucan, Klima, a bunch of builders said, hey, in order for us to fulfill on this vision we're trying to do here, we need to just pull those into a digital economy that doesn't quite exist. And it needs to be in a blockchain. So can you, can you explain bridging to us? Sure. So, I mean, bridging in itself is a pretty boring concept <laughs> and it doesn't accomplish anything by itself. Right. So bridging is just a necessity if you want to enable an on-chain, as you said, on-chain economy or some on-chain use cases, whatever they might be. Right. But in itself, the utility of bridging is very is is very limited if there's nothing to do with on-chain carbon. Right. So yeah. Um, but so to understand the the basic idea behind our bridge V1, which was very much an MVP to to test out, you know how could a bridge work that, or how could an on-chain, so the bridge, if you think of it, is just the on-ramp to the registry, right? Mm -hmm. So um, how could an on-chain registry work? Well, it needs a bridge. It needs people to actually be able to move those credits onto an on-chain ledger system. Um, and the first bridge that we, that we built was essentially a one-way bridge. So you had to kind of um, burn the credit, like, you know, burn the, the underlying carbon credit in the, free world, if you want to call it, and then it would reappear. Uh, you would have to provenly burn it and it would reappear, reappear on chain as a token. Um, as I've said, this was a proof, proof of concept. Um, this idea was taken from how credits are being moved between registry systems off chain already. So the most prominent example is the, the clean development mechanism, which uh, is a registry which then 
um, some of those credits are eligible to move over into Vera's registry system. And so when they move them, they're basically deleted on one database and they make it reappear on the other database. And that's one-to-one -one what we did with Tukin v1, right? So the, the shortcomings of the system is that it's a one-way street. So once you have these credits on chain, they're on chain and you can't move them back. So this is why we're working with these carbon standards right now to essentially set the rules and the criteria on how bridging can work in a fully kind of uh, compliant and in integrated manner with these registries. So using the APIs, et cetera, to actually create a more, um, a less rogue approach, I would yeah. say, right? Well, um, so you just, you just backed into my next question because um, <laughs> That's exactly why I wanted to go down this path because you know you folks worked together with Glimadel and then for this proof of concept and it was wildly successful beyond anyone's dreams and by yeah. you know three orders of magnitude or more, and so this caught a lot of attention and since last year in about May or June right the various registries said whoa 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 hey you gotta not do that <laughs> right so can you yeah. tell us you know that was their perspective then. What is their perspective now? Like, where has the market reached now that this has happened and some things have been built? What is the current market perspective from those players? Yeah, so they're not a homogeneous group either. So um, it depends a lot on the carbon standard that we're talking about. So um, uh, overall, gold standard has been really amazing, I have to say. Um, they're clearly, I think they're just the right mix between um, really motivated and interested to like make this happen, but also due diligence, right? Really making sure that it doesn't blow into the face. So I think we're currently in a pilot program with gold standard, basically um, creating a blueprint on how bridging can work and also educating them on, or helping them understand what systems, you know, what APIs, et cetera, uh, they need to build internally that will actually allow, uh, allow that to happen in like a, in a seamless way. So. Um, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that Gold Standard is going to uh, allow the tokenization of credits this year. Um, I've, became, I've become extremely cautious with my predictions around Hakim Lines because um, I've been proven wrong multiple times. So yeah, I won't go into any many more predictions. Um, Vera has proven a bit more difficult to work with um, just because they have so much other stuff going on. So I don't even, it's not even, I think, a, a lack of interest or, you know, just a, um, just being completely close to the idea is just like, they're so overwhelmed with all the other stuff that is happening. You mentioned the Guardian article earlier in, uh, on the pod where, you know, they, they've kind of fallen, they have a lot of stuff, a lot of fires to put out right now, right? So tokenization is just not top of their list right now. So, um, Overall, I would say it's been a pretty frustrating year from that perspective, um, just because you know if you're used to the speed at which the crypto market works, yeah, um, it you know it's kind of you're landing on your face when you realize, oh my god, actually here this market moves more at the speed of which trees grow. So um, that's been that's been challenging. I I I joke a lot that I we kind of migrated internally from building technical bridges to just being building kind of communication or like human bridges, if you want, because we're yeah. really bringing these two worlds together. They like the, the, the traditional carbon market, which as, as I said, is very kind of NGO idealistic kind of driven 
market, which I would say is not necessarily the most tax heavy, and then the crypto market, which is quite the opposite. So, um, yeah, that's I would say where the where, where the market is at right now from from the standard side of things. Got it. And then in the middle of all of this, you have stuff like um, just to get, even set some of the context here. I was at uh, at COP twenty seven. Gold Standard had a workshop that we attended uh, from Cerulean, right? And so we, I believe Charlie from Toucan was there. A couple other. Um, couple other folks builders in the space were there as well and we all went uh we broke into workshop groups right and working groups and of course surprise surprise everyone ended up at the digitization table <laughs> all right so i think um you know we talked a little about bridging and i agree it's not because bridging is some amazing fantastic innovation it's because of what are the features that ride along with that right so theoretically it enables transparency between all registries why maybe you call yours a meta registry right and then um transparency auditability you're able to actually see the uh the metadata and the semi-fungibility of these things in one place right and so this enables, you know, we were talking about this in at COP27. This enables things. Um, also, surprise, surprise, many of the people at that table were project developers. There was a project developer working group and it was empty. <laughs> Everyone, yeah. All the project developers <laughs> were like, oh, we, uh, we should head over to the digitization market. You know, the yeah. thing, this is very interesting, right? And so I wanted to ask you, right, from that perspective, the things that bridging enables, um, maybe we can, uh, and also your products and measure registry and the SDK and all these retirement capabilities. If I, as a project developer, right, I look at two can and I go, cool. It looks like they're connecting to all the, maybe maybe we'll see where they land, but where they're major, yeah. they're connecting to a lot of the major sources where I would be working with those partners anyway. And if I'm originating a new carbon project and I want to issue credits to a registry, how do I interact with two can as a project developer, right? On that side of the yeah. market. That's a really, really good question. And it's a really frustrating answer because, so we get a lot of inbound actually from projects that are like, guys, like we're waiting for months now to get our credits even issued or to get like, you know, Vera to look at our stuff, et cetera. And it's like, can we not just issue straight onto Toucan? Like, so, and I would love to say yes. <laughs> I would love to say yes, but you know, you have to know your, you have to know your edge. And I think that the, uh, the job of a standard is, so, so uh, you, you know, you, uh, you see me talking a lot about the word standard and I actually shy away from using the word registry. And the reason is because today, the standards and the registries are often the same thing. Um, so the standard, in my opinion, is really about like scientific, you know, science and governance, right? It's like making sure that this underlying science is correct and the governance to make sure that it's actually in, enacted, right? And also the governance on iterating and creating new science-based methodologies. Then you have the registry component of it, which is just kind of a, a digital product, which keeps track of like what's going in and what's going out and just kind of just like a state machine. So um, because right now Tukin is, is not a standard and we don't intend to become a standard because as I said, I don't think our edges in science and governance. Um, we cannot currently work with uh, carbon projects that are not working with the standard, right? So you need to have credits issued by a carbon standard before being able to kind of interact with Tukin. Now, if you have that, if you have credits, essentially you're, you know, um, you can go into Tukin, you can bridge your credits. Um, well, you could, like we, we, 
uh, stop the bridge after Vera has asked us to do so. So right now there is no there's no function bridge actually until we reopen a bridge with in, in collaboration with these standards. But you know, in theory, once that happens, you will be able to take your credits, move them onto our kind of digital registry system, um, and then either sell them into a pool, provide liquidity for them, take a loan against your carbon credits, uh, or put them onto a marketplace um, That's super at cool. a, a given price. Um, so you know, there's it, it opens up all these different use cases that I think the loan one is actually really interesting because if you think yeah. about it, um, and it's like the it's ultimately the financialization of carbon as an asset, which it's really important to, to be careful on how we do that because financialization is not all, you know can can bring a lot of perverse incentives if it's done, done wrong. But yeah. if we're just you know if we're just really rational and we understand we have to move trillions of dollars towards these activities, yeah, trillions. Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna make it if we don't create better financial products. And if we don't turn carbon credits actually into some type of financial product that you can lend against, that you can, yeah. you know, because th that's essentially a way to actually make those trillions move there. So, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, some of that is still kind of in, in the future um, because we're expecting or we're waiting for, um, for the doors to open again, yeah. the, the doors are bridging, but um, that's, the, the long answer to what a carbon project developer can do once once this I, is possible again. I think it's a great answer because you keep backing into right right where I want to keep going, and this is this is a great example, right? So I think I really want to dig into the financialization piece and, the, and markets because I think this is really important for people who care about climate to understand, right? Especially you know from an ownership angle as well. And so let's dig into this a bit. I want to take an example, right? So. I went to Colombia for um, for SBS and for a Sustainable Blockchain Summit for yeah. for Filecoin Green. I was there for Cosmoverse, and I also went to Refi Barichara. I went to a bunch of you know remote places, and I went to the forest. I went to see uh, with the um, uh, who is it? The Humboldt Institute out there. They let a bunch of people out to see yeah. um, you know on a little on a biodiversity sort of John uh, through through the the forest because you know something an astronomical percentage like 30 percent of the world's biodiversity is in colombia or something like that it's like the second most biodiverse bioregion in the world yeah, yeah exactly and so but i want to talk about the current market there because i think it's really interesting what you're doing right so this is this is the power of sort of financialization here so the the sovereign markets of colombia are dominated by the sovereign credit market and voluntary carbon credit markets of colombia are dominated by really one segment of purchasers right it's the oil and gas petroleum chemical products who uh they really really want to make sure that the carbon that's originated in Cal in colombia stays in colombia now to some extent if you have like a you know somewhat protectionist view of this and you're like oh well that sounds good it's like you know uh we you know what like protection for the market whatever it's like actually no that's bad because what are the real in one of the most of the uh intentions here it's to pay the absolute lowest amount that you can for the highest quality projects right and yeah. so that ends up this is a classic situation where if you can open this up to global competition those project developers and landowners in colombia can find the best price and then can also do more projects because they can go hey okay great i now know from either directly from Toucan or from one of the interfaces that's built on Toucan, what is a market price for the type of project that I'm doing? Maybe I'm developing on a Vera standard and I can go into a pool of those and say, 
oh, this is great. That's what it's selling for. And I've been appraised to bring, you know, this amount or X amount of X amount, millions of credits to market. Then that means I could do a loan that enables me to start uh, forward selling those. And I could do it either to Toucan's infrastructure or to someone who's built on top of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then this enables us to multiply climate action. Right. So I want to kind of, you know, turn that back around to you and say, Today, when we talk about carbon markets, right, we mentioned OTC, we mentioned the other environmental commodities markets. One thing they all have in common is that they're super opaque, right? Yeah. And this is like, you know, this is not, I want to stress, this is not necessarily because anyone is a bad actor here. It's just, this is just the structural like issue with the market, right? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, uh, and I'll actually make it a little more specific, right? Like <laughs> just general stuff. I'll just make a very specific example. If I like in this case with the sovereign Colombian market, or if I'm, you know, a project developer or corporate, I have an incentive on the corporate side to pay the least amount for the highest quality thing because I don't want to get owned on social <laughs> media, right? I don't want to, I don't want to be accused of greenwashing. But as you've said before, carbon is not an asset, really. It's a cost center, right? It's not yeah. just the thing that's like, you got to go buy the CFO and the sustainability manager is like, you just got to do it. Right. So uh, this results in the project developers keeping their best carbon off market and saying, how do I find the highest price for this, right? Maybe, maybe uh, Novartis will pay $30 per ton. Maybe, yeah. you know, some other one will, so I can find a, a buyer that way and they'll go to a broker. And then that leads to a market that doesn't clear prices and help a project developer actually find a market price for their next project. So I want to ask you, Toucan, and in, in addition to a whole ecosystem of builders who are building on top of it, what do you kind of see as some of the necessary pieces and in what order do you kind of need to sort of build them to begin to build a deeply liquid market that clears prices more efficiently? That's a great question. Um, the first thing I think that is important is, um, is actually to build a market for the quality that we need to see, right? So it's actually to... Um, build a market for the best carbon, the best carbon projects um, instead of the worst. And I know that we didn't necessarily start off on the right foot on that because of some, I would say, um, different visions in, in terms of what BCT was meant to do. Um, but the, um, so, but the, the, so the step number one is actually to create a market that can discern between like between quality, right? So the way to do that, in my opinion, is to, to leverage some of these actors that I mentioned before around uh, rating agencies to create, if we now take pools and as an example, is that we take highly curated pools where there's very, very strict kind of gauging criteria of which projects are allowed in a pool and which ones are not allowed in a pool to make sure that only the best carbon credits in that pool are actually um, uh, you know, the, the only the best companies can enter that pool and can find liquidity. Now, um, I don't think that this will, this transition from like a completely opaque and OTC-based market will move to a fully liquid overnight. So the strategy, in my opinion, needs to be that we, um, if there is a liquid alternative, it means that as a project developer, you can, you can hedge, you can, you know, sell some of it into the market if the price is actually good right now or uh, 
you know, you you have to, you want to plant more trees now and you don't find the right buyer, you can, you know, you have instant access to liquidity. And I do believe that this is a value proposition that ultimately very few actors will be able to resist if the prices of that obviously are uh, at a level that, 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 that works for them. And typically I would argue that if this is a market that if, if the liquid market actually can become a market between the suppliers and the end buyers, right? And meaning that we can replace some of the trust that the end buyer currently puts into the intermediaries around curation, right? Because, because curation is one of the key value adds of the intermediaries, because they will tell the corporates what to buy and what not to buy. If we can integrate that into the market, where as an end buyer, you don't actually have to worry if this is a good project or not, because you know that this pool, for instance, is highly curated by trusted actors. Um, ultimately, the end buyer will pay a lower price for the higher quality credits, and the supplier will get a higher price for their credits because the margin that the intermediary used to take is actually not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one of the ways that, as an example of how, how, how this could happen, um, but again, that's just for pools. I think ultimately the the market mechanisms for for like a project developer that is creating the best, the highest quality carbon credits for now will mostly be um, marketplaces and order books, in my opinion, that can really help um, advertise and you know advertise the uniqueness of this individual project. It's a bit like an NFT. Just to understand this, like carbon credits are kind of these semi-fungible assets. And so if you're coming from a crypto background, you kind of have to think of carbon credits as this mix between NFTs and ERC20s, where they kind of come with the attributes that they have a lot of this, you know, NFT NFT-esque based nature. And in in a way, these carbon pools that you can have created works a bit like NFTX or something, which you know creates liquidity around. Um, certain category of, 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 of NFTs. So the best projects, you'll probably find them on something like OpenSea, um, kind of advertising their, their uniqueness. And, um, and then the other aspect, in my opinion, is around forwards. Because as you said, not all, like a big part of this market actually doesn't happen in, in, in the spot market, but it happens with like forwards and offtake agreements. So mm -hmm. typically, if you have, you know, if you're like a superstar project, you kind of sold out for, for the next couple of years anyways. So your available supply is already promised to end buyers. And those credits never actually hit the spot market because they're immediately retired once they've been issued. Um, so um, yeah, I think that that's kind of the, um, that, that's the path to go down to. It's kind of first make sure that we have a functioning spot market, make sure that the forward market, et cetera, can also be, uh, easily like more standardized because it's a huge mess right now. It's like everybody uses different type of contracts and it's pretty exp and pretty expensive process because you have to have your legal team involved all the time, et cetera. So I do think that there's a lot of potential for, for innovation um, and uh, a lot of it will not happen by Toucan, but it will happen by ecosystem partners of us. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to point out too, like you said, with forwards, right? So just to zoom in on that one a bit too, there's... Um, we, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about project developers and what it takes to stand up a project, right? So you may actually have the capacity, you may have the land, you may have the land, you might have the rights to it as well. And, uh, from a due diligence perspective, the project might completely check out, but 
you still need to fund that project. You need to hire the people, the scientists, the planters, the actual yeah. people who do it and steward the project. And getting money for that um, upfront is very difficult. As you said, you've got to get a huge legal team involved. You've got to do a bunch of things like that. And so this sets the bar for a project actually being funded quite high. It could be, you know, it could be 500K, it could be a couple million dollars. And yeah. we're talking about things that over their lifetime, you know, are, are might collect, you know, something like five to 10 next step, but that's in the future, right? So yeah. um, what we what we kind of need to be able to do is underwrite a project and be able to sell it so that we can fund it. And right now, the the way to do that is not at all standardized because it's not really a regulated market. So we're talking about a market where mortgages happen essentially but there's no actual entity that goes well here's how you do it and if you mess it up you we can sue you (laughs) right like it's a one-off use case every time so yeah can you tell us a little bit about um what you know sort of your your perspective on the folks maybe they're building on maybe they're building on top of you right but how does toucan sort of feed into that forward opportunity yeah so i mean um i think one of the strongest group of builders in the space that are working with is a solid world um, they're essentially trying to do a similar thing as we are doing for forwards. So essentially creating liquidity around forward credits. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, their, their biggest focus needs to be on the, on the, on the underwriting, right? So on the due diligence of around a given project and making sure that it's not that the likelihood of failure is as small as possible. So um, as you said, this market is still not standardized. Credit, like this, the contracts are not standardized. And it really comes down to like due diligence, like the, the things that you would look at is, okay, does this project developer, right? Have a successful track record of other projects that they've done in the past? Um, what is the projected issuance versus actual issuance of those of those projects meaning like you know a project developer will go out and say hey over the lifetime of this project it will generate like a million carbon credits and here's the curve like a hundred thousand first year two hundred thousand etc you know um mm-hmm. it does this actually check out so um and typically it doesn't right typically we're, we're close to like 70 percent of that um but these are things obviously that you can take into account and it, you know you have models and you have the data so you can make insurance. sense of it yeah. insurance exactly there is uh there's um, new players entering the market that trying to insure against this risk. So I think there's uh, it's very interesting and there's there, there's still a lot to be done. Um, I wouldn't proclaim myself as an expert in this particular field because it's not something that we've been that we've been focusing on. So if you haven't had Solid World on the show, I think you know definitely worth it. Some of the smartest smartest builders in the space. Awesome. Thanks for that, man. So I think we we uh, we've covered a lot, and I kind of want to round it out by talking a little bit about um re- re- we mentioned this a couple times on the pod so far uh, regenerative economic systems and impact measurement and all the kind of stuff it takes to get that going and i think maybe we might you know we'll start a little bit uh on the side of this and say we we've talked about how hey a forward you know if i'm talking about forwards and i look at uh, a project developer and i want to historically know you know what do they actually deliver how much carbon do they deliver how much do they say they would deliver uh kind of you know, this is a very difficult thing. I think if people don't understand, right, it really, just to yeah. give you a little bit of a sense of it, right, is 
the variability in these things is as the 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 requisite variety of the states that an ecosystem can occupy when you talk about a particular type of project we're talking about you know we're not talking about some of these projects are monoculture tree planting or what have you like mangroves but then there's other ones that are based on soil carbon sequestration based on how on on pasture how you how you pasture animals there's ones that are based on uh the 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 spreading of biochar or you know there's enhanced rock weathering and i'm getting outside of nature-based solutions now but this is like just to show you there's so many of these right mm -hmm. and so and we, we need them all yeah exactly we need them all right <laughs> we need also, them all yeah, exactly but if you talk about delivered carbon right i was reading something i don't remember who it was but uh there was a man mangrove projects are famous for this because they're so variable you know there was a claim about something like 500 kilograms per mangrove tree it ended up being somewhere around 118 and so we in web three speak to impact and impact measurement quite a bit it's very important for groups like filecoin who are building new primitives for this like uh, hyper certs and what have you mm -hmm. and so I, I wanted to ask you um how does how does toucan look at making and measuring impact yeah um so as i said earlier like we're not a standard so we're not actually in the business of measuring impact um and um Again, this is just simply because we don't believe, like we're, like, if anything, we want to support impact that has been met the data of measurements to to land on our on our infrastructure exactly, um, and to allow people to look at it, scrutinize it, uh, verify it, right? So this could be even the raw data and as well as the the models or the algorithms that are run run on top of it to like make sense. So I think that would be the the killer kind of um, the maximum level of transparency that you could give somebody is like, look, here's the raw data and that's the models that we've used. So, you know, come and prove me wrong. So this is kind of what we need, yeah. but like we, we're not operating sensors or expecting to send people out in the field because we're not, um, uh, you know, we're not a carbon standard, so we're not trying to do exactly. that. How we're making impact um, is that we are actually a planet positive protocol, meaning that as part of our kind of um, system as part of our, our the transactions that happen on Tucan, um, whenever we take a fee, a portion of that fee actually goes towards retiring carbon credits. So um, the reason that I think this is extremely interesting, it's not just interesting, I think it's just like, that's what that's ultimately what I believe refi also to be. I'd, or so, so one of the, and I'm glad we're going there because this kind of the if we zoom out again, it's like ultimately our financial system is broken, right? And it's based on extraction. How are we going to turn that on its head? Is because I believe that DeFi will become the backbone of our financial system eventually. If we manage to make DeFi regenerative by design, we have a regenerative financial system, right? And so what that means is that if protocols, the protocols that run in the back that like people don't even, you know, uh, know that they're using if protocols by design programmatically retire carbon credits not to compensate for their footprint not to be not to you know oh i'm have i'm running on a blockchain and this creates you know this you know this is my responsibility no i think we should move away from like hey my um my responsibility here is i have a footprint of like 100 tons and I, i'm going to buy carbon credits for 100 tons no let's just diverge it's closer to a tax really. It's like, 
like let's diverge a certain amount is whenever there's value that is being created, let's take a bit of that value and put it back into regenerating the soil and, and like the land. Um, and really also the communities that 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 steward these uh, these uh, steward the land. So that is, I think, the transition that we need to see. And uh, we're trying to kind of lead by example by actually doing that with Tucan and making sure that whenever somebody uses Tucan, it actually does that without claiming that we're the most carbon negative protocol or like that we're the most green protocol or, or business in the world, just because yeah. we believe that the more volume and the more traction Tucan becomes, the better it's going to be for the planet. And that's how I think we should align incentives going forward. I got it. That that totally makes sense. And I think like it's important to be cognizant of the of the path dependence that got us to things like refi, right? Because we got here through extensive greenwashing and fraud in a lot of yeah. these, in a lot of these markets, especially in ESG. Like, you know, I, I have a weird I personally have a weird relationship with ESG and that I will fiercely mm. defend it against its critics and then for its supporters, I will fiercely criticize it. <laughs> just basically. I think that's just the right amount. That's yeah, the right amount with this exactly. what you want to be. Exactly. So I think, you know, when we talk about refi, what we've had a lot of folks on the show to kind of dig into what it is and all that. And it's it's a constantly developing narrative, a meta narrative. There's a lot yeah. of new pieces attaching to it but you know from our perspective and a lot of uh i don't i'm not speaking for martin he can jump in and disagree with me but uh we really have to start from the first principles of actually what does it take to run the economy what is the energy input what is nature's input and then develop around develop tools around addressing the trust provenance and authority issues around it so one of the ways we've been thinking about this is uh, me personally and the fund and cerulean is that um we in the in the refi builder space really have to be thinking about how do we work to build tools that originate uh, a perspective on the nature's input to the economy that ends up in net new demand for eco, for eco credits that builds trust with these purchasers, the people who are interested in a regenerative economy, climate financiers, and how do we also work with the latest science and technology to originate net new supply? Right, like not just an NBS, but like you said, we need we need everything, right? Yeah. So, uh, if you if I ask you to prognosticate a little bit and thinking about Toucan's future up to twenty thirty, how do you how does that vision sort of vibe with your take on refi? Twenty thirty. <sighs> um, man, I have a lot of hopes for twenty thirty. Um, like I hope that both refi and the carbon market will actually be legit because. <laughs> Right now, neither of these two markets are. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by legit is really is like that there is integrity along the value chain and that we can actually verify whether or not there is integrity along the value chain and easily verify that there is integrity along the value chain. So um, what this means for Tukin is that, you know, I would hope that we've created a useful piece of infrastructure that is being used by other ecosystem partners because we've built the best piece of infrastructure to solve this particular problem. Um, and that there's a thriving ecosystem around Toucan and just a thriving ecosystem in ReFi that kind of builds out um, slowly um, more and more of the different components that, that need to exist in order to create like a kind of regeneration organism and kind of the backbone of a regenerative financial system. So that's my, my hope. Um, for for 2030 is that we have built a p as a, as an ecosystem have built uh, something that actually where we can confidently say hey if we scale that if we, if if more you know if we kind of create a flywheel if we get this flywheel going 
mm-hmm. we'll get there, right? And then it's just about all of us together kind of keep pushing the flywheels by kind of giving it the best for our individual components to 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 be to become better and bigger and like faster. Um, that would be great. Awesome, man. I think the very last thing I want to touch on, which is actually ironic for this podcast, because we dig into this almost immediately. And it's like the main focus usually is just uh, what is it, what shape is Toucan going to take to get us there by 2030, right? So really talking oh, yeah. about the governance. And so like just to set the context, right? Uh, my my perspective on this market being only buried neck deep in it every day for two years, not that long, right? But mm-hmm. like really is when you begin to sort out the, the market map and the players and the incentives, it a lot of, like we said, you know, so far it's, no, there aren't too many bad actors, right? A lot of this is not happening because there are bad people and we need better people running the market, right? It's just simply every, most people just executing on their incentives, right? Like if you're, if you're the, even yeah. just zooming in on the January stuff from the, this was news to nobody, honestly, if you've been paying attention to this market, you're like, you're not surprised by anything the Guardian reported. It's really just, hey. And it was regist- really not, was not very good journalism also. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on, right? on top of it. Exactly. A lot of gotchas, a lot yeah. of just, you know, absolutely, you know, click, getting the clip, rolling up the clicks. But yeah. if you look at stuff like, you know, you mentioned some of them, B0, Silvera, there's Vera, there's um, the project develop, the major project developers like South Pole. Um, and really, uh, in folks in the middle who are doing DMRV, like Pachama and all these other folks. And when you're, when you think about what it takes to bring, originate, finance a project, originate the credits, bring it to market, measure if it's working and all that. A lot of folks in that value chain are just kind of going to be like, well, um, I, I can't do X because that harms my bottom line. Well, I can't dial them to do, I'm going to go along with you on that because you know, whatever, right? There's not really, mm-hmm. it's not difficult. It's difficult to actually adjudicate some of these things. So when we zoom out and look at Toucan becoming the financial rails of this economy, um, you know, what are, what are the sort of plans for decentralizing Toucan? Are there plans for it? Right. Like, and really including yeah. the, the be very specific here. When we say decentralized, we don't just mean when tokens so that more people can vote on things in snapshot. We're talking about yeah. what does the stakeholder mix need to look like to bring integrity to the market and who needs to be a part of that. Right. Yeah. So, um, so as you know, I have a background in DAOs and I think DAOs are a great experiment. Um, and they are they work really well for specific, you know, for they work really well for specific use cases when you have to govern a already functioning protocol. I don't think they're particularly best suited for like early stage, you know, early stage startup mode, essentially, essentially, where you're still figuring out what. Um, the best way is to kind of you know scale this market to kind of find your find your niche, find your edge, etc. So um, we we took a very conscious decision at Token not to launch a token, not to do the standard like DAO playbook of like oh let's just you know launch a token, have the community vote and stuff, and like use snapshot. Uh, I don't believe that that's necessarily the best way to go about it, and I do respect groups that choose that path. And I think there's a lot of positive that comes with it, like kind of organic, you know, just creating a platform for um, things to happen organically, et cetera. But it's a path that I personally had difficulties with in the past. And so I wanted to do it differently, but you can. So what that means in practice is that we've been working um, with 
in my opinion, the, the, the best of the best. Um, uh, I don't know if you know the guys from Block Science. Um, we do. Great. So, uh, you know, um, Michael's argument is seen, I think, at, at, at the forefront on how on how on chain governance, um, what it means, and how we can use it to actually build good governance systems. So, we've been working with Block Science on developing a uh, governance system for for pools as an example, and for like token as a protocol. Excellent. And in full transparency, this is still we're still early. Um, and I don't like, it's not something that we're rushing. I don't believe that right now we, we need it. But the goal here is that, as you said, we need to make sure that the, that once we have built infrastructure that actually plays a crucial role in the, in the market. And right now there's no actor in the space that can claim that. Um, once it happens, we need to make sure that we progressively hand it over to the, to the right group and the right mix of stakeholders to govern it. So, um, Decentralization is on our roadmap. Um, we have, um, we will introduce governance on some of the some of the projects, uh, like some of the sub products, like pools, right? So to have governance around how you set the gating criteria for a pool, how you update the fee structure, how you update the gating criteria, and all of that, and that can be governed like by 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 a group of actors, etc. And make sure that we have the right systems around this, but um, like token as a whole protocol for now is going to um, is kind of going very slowly on that on that path until we have um, yeah until we have to, uh, a, a, a kind of anti fragile kind of governance system that we and we don't have to you know trial it too much because you can break a lot of things if you mess with your governance right you can can go really badly so. Absolutely. Um, and it's important to know. That's where we stand. Yeah, exactly. It's important to note too that this is a we mentioned earlier that it's unregulated, but that doesn't mean that you know scientists are heavily involved in this market. Like it's actually trying as much as possible to map to what's happening on the ground. And it's informed by a form of authority, right? It's not regulatory, yeah. it's not a state, it's not a multipolar body. But um that it sounds like for you folks, then it, over time, you'll probably start by looking at sub uh, features of the protocol and areas where expertise is called for. So yeah. if you're talking about pools, potentially it might be project developers and purchasers who decide, hey, this is the sort of criteria that a particular pool should have, right? And this is how it will enter. And Absolutely. Like and we're, we're, we're deliberately moving away from like, we're not the climate expert. So it's not our goal to be deciding what goes into an, in and out of a pool. Like, again, we're the ones building the technology that allow for pools to happen, but the sh pool should be owned and operated and designed by, by experts, not by us, right? So th that's kind of my view of progressive decentralization is like to progressively introduce governance for some of these, uh, for some of these things and kind of learn in like a low stakes environment and then, and then piece it all together. That makes and a lot of sense. Just as a, I think what makes this particularly difficult in this market is again that we have two communities that are very, very kind of far from each other still the crypto community and the climate community. And so it's going to be extremely difficult to build a governance system where these two community key, communities are actually equally represented for the things that they're actually good at and, you know, and have have expertise on and 
also both of these markets are extremely tribal which makes governance you know or like yeah which makes me a bit sad if i'm honest because there's like you know within the crypto community you have this like oh no my chain is better than your chain or like whatever and in the climate community you have this oh no my like my view of the world is better than your view of the world and you shouldn't invest your resources in nature based because of that or you shouldn't do the tech base because of x or y so um i'm quite happy for now to like be able to build uh the dream you know that we have and like on on our like with the vision and the kind of assumptions that that underlie it um without having to constantly fight these other groups on like why we do this or why we not do this so um that's kind of where we currently at i think that's a very pragmatic approach man i think it's um it's very much built around the idea that hey like again these are not ready we do not have the technology even at the point where we can make permissionless measurements accurately of the ecological state of a yeah. project. So it's kind of difficult to just say, hey, we should just put it on a blockchain and be able to say, did the thing happen or not, right? And until we yeah. get there, yeah. we need experts who yeah. kind of say, this is fair or this is not, and we need the human judgment Yeah. Um, until all, we have... All, a... <laughs> all of this, man, all of this is like very far away from being completely digitized. And I actually do believe that it's like, for some projects, it's never going to be possible to like replace them completely by code or by, you know, um, remote sensing, etc. So everybody who comes to you and says, you know, I can just verify this project with my satellite data. Come on, like that's not that's not how it works because all of it is, you know, because the hard part is not measuring the flow data. So like, okay, you know, you have your land and now you plant those trees. Yes, you can roughly uh, use remote sensing te- technologies to see that change in tree cover uh, and make your deductions from it. But what you can't measure with the satellite is like. The ownership rights to land are like the indigenous communities that are stewarding it actually represented in the in the local governance of this thing etc so it's the baseline it's also making sure that so and these are the things that are actually the easiest to to game today so i'd be really cautious when like people claim that it's possible to do it all digitally you know that that, that makes a ton of sense man well i think i wanted to say that kind of wraps it up for where we landed it's a good spot to cool. end um and the last thing I'll ask is just uh, where can people follow Toucan and your work online? Sure. So the website is Toucan.Earth. Um, my, my Twitter is Rafa Benoit uh, on Twitter, Rafa with a PH, Benoit without a T at the end. And um, if you're a developer, we have a developer app, which is developer.toucan.Earth, um, where you, you know, can see um, examples and you know how how our SDK can be used to build applications on top of Toucan. We are around the major conferences, uh, either the kind of crypto, but also like the AITA conference happening next week in, in Lisbon. So you know, um, feel free to shoot us shoot us a uh, a DM, an email, or um, you know you'll you'll find us. You'll get in touch with us if you. We're easy to find. I would say. Well, this has been awesome, Raf. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. That's been really refreshing, I have to say. Um, it's not always so easy to like have uh, fun conversations on on a part, but this was really cool. Awesome, man. We we love to hear, it, man. Thanks again for joining us. Cool. Enjoy your weekend. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Ownership Economy. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe.